It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. When it comes to service, Rush Truck Centers is committed to making you their top priority. Whether you're looking for same-day preventive maintenance, assistance from their dedicated service concierge team, or 24-7 access to your truck repair status, Rush Truck Centers offer customizable maintenance plans that fit your needs. What are you and your truck waiting for? Schedule an appointment with Rush Truck Center Service Department or ask them to dispatch a mobile service unit when and where you need it. Visit RushTruckCenters.com to find your nearest location. You can expect more from Rush Truck Centers. What is going on, Belly Up Sports fam? Mr. Shaka Cummings, along with my partner in crime, Mr. Parker Ainsworth. Welcome to F in Sports, the podcast with two teachers grade sports biggest issues. Happy Sunday to you, Mr. Ainsworth. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing okay. We're into August and, uh, you know, school year's slowly starting. Things may, who knows what's about to happen in the next month or two, but things are changing, that's for sure. We got sports. It's true that we have sports, and it's also true that the school year is going to start whether we want it to or not, which has a totally different set of ramifications in this particular year than normally. Normally, we just don't want the summer to end. This year, it's like, I don't know if I want to go back to school. Anyway. Yeah. So let's distract ourselves and talk about sports. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, how about gold stars? Do you have any gold stars you want to share with us, Mr. Ainsworth? Yeah. Um, my first gold star is going to go, I, I think you have something similar in mind, but Friday was Mike Golick Sr.'s last day on the morning show. He, uh, he's he been hosting for 20 years now. I guess the most recent iteration is Golick and Wingo. And at the end of his sign-off episode for during the pandemic, they've been recording in the Golick family basement. Anyway, my gold star is going to go to Mike Golick Jr. for a very emotional, heartfelt sign-off at the end of the episode there. They had the whole family down in matching Golic Supro t-shirts uh, with cool little donut on them. Uh, but it, it was anyway, it was touching and it was heartfelt. But the real, the crux of it was like Golic Jr. felt, you know, he needed to tell the, the world that like, as cool as this guy is, at the end of his last show, he will still be Golic Jr.'s dad. And that was a really cool and touching moment. And it almost caught me off guard. Like I told Parker this off pod, like I didn't see it live. So I was watching Instagram 
And when Golik Jr. starts to cry, I'm like, oh, no, I can't watch this. <laughs> like, I'm not ready to cry uh, just watching Instagram. A gold star to Mike Greenberg, who for years was the partner on Mike and Mike in the Morning with Mike Golick. So for those of you who may not be familiar, they had a radio show for 17 years, I believe, that dominated the sports airwaves nationally. Mike Greenberg has a new morning show that's a television-only show called Get Up, and the split, most of the reporting is that it wasn't amicable necessarily. That being said, with Mike Golick signing off from morning radio, Mike Greenberg took a couple of minutes on his morning show, and so he took the time to say, number one, that Mike Golick is this incredible family man who taught him how to make sure that he put family first, and then number two, talked about the fact that Mike Golick actually created a space where a football player or a former football player didn't just have to analyze football because Mike Golick talked about all sorts of sports. This was my favorite morning sports show ever. I loved Mike and Mike. So hats off to Mike Greenberg for acknowledging uh, his former partner. Maybe they get together again and they prove that, you know, some of the uh, rumors that are out there in terms of their not so amicable split have been put behind them. I would love that. I would love that that stuff was put well, to rest. There certainly is a generation that watched that 15 years of morning show and it was like, you're either a Mike and Mike person or like a sports center person. Like there was like, we grew up with them at breakfast every morning. You were, you were watching one of the two, whether it was the Stuart Scott, Scott Van Pelt looking sports center or the Mike and Mike show. Absolutely. Uh, Mr. Ainsworth, do you have any more gold stars? Um, I want to give a gold star for a great effort. I thought Jimmy Butler uh, <laughs> yesterday deserved a gold star. The NBA has been very much pushing the social justice ideas in the last month or so they okayed a bunch of things to be put across the back of jerseys butler took some offense to the idea that like they had to pick from a preordained list he wanted more of a say in it and i guess his real thing he was trying to drive is that like yes he's an nba basketball player but he is also a black man in america just like so many other people in america and so he wanted no name on the back of his jersey and so he went out and warmed up or whatever for his their first game back in the restart and takes his warm-up off and his jersey has no name on the back of it. What comes next will be in my detentions, but what other gold stars do you have? <laughs> <Shaka Cummings. laughs> that's awesome. Um, I have a gold star that's very much in a similar vein because it has to do with acknowledgement in jerseys, specifically gold star to the Edmonton Oilers of the NHL and their defenseman, Ethan Bear. So they were playing in a uh, an exhibition game versus the Calgary Flames. And for this game, Ethan Bear and the Edmonton Oilers had a special jersey made for him to wear. So uh, it's the Battle of Alberta, I believe. Ethan Bear is a native Ojibwe. So he's part of the indigenous tribe in the northern regions of Canada. And... To acknowledge his heritage, the Edmonton Oilers actually created a jersey that had his name in Cree on the back. And the Cree dialect is the one that was spoken by the Ojibwe people who, once upon a time, this was their land. That was their territory. That was their region. And so it was just really cool for Edmonton to acknowledge the indigenous peoples that occupy that land and for Ethan Bear to acknowledge that part of himself, that heritage, and for him to wear this jersey. Um, I have been looking to try to see if I could purchase it. Like, that's how 
uh, cool I think it is. And I am a person who practices the uh, Jay-Z philosophy of I don't wear jerseys. I'm 30 plus. Give me a crisp pair of jeans and some button ups. Um, that's normally me. <laughs> but with this jersey, I think I'm going to make the exception. So in sticking with jerseys, my first attention goes to the NBA and the officials that made Jimmy Butler change uniforms before the game started. <laughs> it was a very cool and intentional gesture. And it, frankly, I don't really understand what it violated because the NBA said if you're going to use a saying besides your name on the back of your jersey, it needs to be one of these things. He didn't say anything that wasn't one of those things, right? He, he just had nothing on the back of his jersey. <laughs> that is and, such a middle school student perspective. Like, I can tell that you teach middle school. <laughs> right. It, 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 it didn't violate. It didn't say anything that you told me not to say, right? Um, but any, anyway, they, like, there's this big dramatic thing. He takes all his warm-up and walks on the floor, and the ref's about to tip the ball and, like, blow was like, no, 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 no. You got to go change right now. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, God. Like, he's out on the floor at this point. Like, just let him play. Anyway. Um, you so can tell the tension. Miami Heat were ready because they had the Butler jersey like right there. Like he's oh, not gonna yeah, miss a were... second <laughs> of this game. <laughs> um, so detention for the NBA for that because I thought it was kind of silly. Like they didn't need to do it. Both of my detentions are going to be lighthearted. So let me start with the first one. The detention goes, and I don't know how many of you guys have seen this, but there's a clip all over social media of Michael Jordan playing a pickup game. And it looks like, I mean, it's in some tropical locale. There's literally a palm tree in the background. And there's a dude who's trying to guard Jordan. Detention to this dude who gives Jordan the fallaway jump shot. It's like, no, you got to let Mike drive on you at 50. You can't give him the fallaway. That's his whole game was evolved to that. (laughs) And so Jordan, of course, strokes this fallaway. No problem. Then he's getting the ball to check it up. And he says to the dude, man, you don't know who I am. I'm Michael Jordan. You better pull up Michael Jordan on YouTube. <laughs> He's like, you're going to give me that shot? You must be crazy. My last attention, it's really kind of the same detention, but I'm giving it to two different groups of people. Both the LA Clippers and the Dallas Mavericks need to learn how to box out. Both games, if you're watching in the first two nights of the NBA, um, I guess if you're on the East Coast, it might have been kind of late at night, but both games ended in very obvious, if anyone had their like brain on, should have been blocking out situations. LeBron, at the end of the Clippers game, shoots a you know, <laughs> 17-footer and misses it, but five Clippers are between him and the ball just watching, and so he puts the shot back in because he's LeBron and that's what he does. And then um, he also makes a tremendous stop at the other end of the floor to win the game. And then the Rockets game... The Rockets are known for literally not playing anyone over six foot eight. Like that's like kind of their thing now. If you haven't been paying attention, the Mavs have four players seven feet or taller. And Robert Covington, the Rockets are down three. The Mavs intentionally foul, so they get two free throws. I could sit here and argue about whether or not Harden was shooting the ball. We're not gonna do that today. And Harden gets two free throws. He makes the first one, has what is probably the most perfect miss in that it kind of bounces around the rim for a second and then falls out. And Robert Cummington tips it in. He's six foot eight. The Mavs have four seven footers. What are you doing? <laughs> anyway, like so, detention to both squads and whoever's in charge of teaching blocking out. That's a very middle school. Another very middle school thing is blocking out. <laughs> My detention is going to go to what is really it's a cool concept, right? So the NBA, you can. Uh, view the games on your computer and they actually have a rail cam that's set up to kind of give you the courtside view. So imagine if you were at the game at courtside, this is the angle that you get. 
And so you'll see those fans in the background of these NBA games. The fans that are digitized, they kind of have that rail cam view. The rail cam is amazing. Detention, though, to the particular rail cam during the exhibition game between the Philadelphia 76ers and the Dallas Mavericks because Luka Doncic is going out of bounds to go get a ball. And one of the rail cams comes, I mean, smoking down its whatever track it's on. Luka's leaning over the track. Luckily, he caught in his periphery the rail cam, and he backed away. But this thing was coming to take his head off. And could you imagine, like, being <laughs> Mark Cuban? And it's like, what do you mean Luka can't play? What do you mean Luka, what do you mean Luka got hit by the rail cam? <laughs> like, there's literally nothing that you could say to the owner of the Dallas Mavericks as to why Luka Doncic's career is over because his head was literally taken off by a rail cam. Like, you can't <laughs> – there's nothing you can say that's going to make him feel better about that. We have a great podcast. We get to talk – sports that are actually happening so we're going to talk about the opening weekend of the nba restart and what it means in terms of now seeing these teams play and who might be the favorite in terms of the rest of the season we're also going to talk a little bit of baseball specifically we're going to talk about the coronavirus results that are happening during this uh, baseball season this condensed season and what it might mean if we're going to get a rest of the season and then we will wrap up with a discussion about the Notre Dame fighting Irish. And if maybe they should look to join a conference on a permanent basis. So without further ado, Mr. Ainsworth, are you ready to go, sir? Ready when you are, Shaka. Mr. Ainsworth, let's go ahead and jump into our first topic this week. The thesis statement reads, the first weekend of the NBA restart should tell NBA fans that the Bucks are the real favorite to win the title. So I say that to you, Mr. Ainsworth. How are you going to grade that one, sir? I feel somewhat targeted because they're playing my Rockets. We were going on a Sunday afternoon <laughs> and play them tonight. Um, I, but I am going to say I think that's like an A-minus thesis statement. I think it's pretty strong. So I don't know that I'm going to shift from the Lakers still being the favorite. And we can talk about, obviously, the results. So I feel like I'm probably just going to go – I'll go B here. Um yeah, the Lakers-Toronto game, that was a tough one. Okay, Mr. Ainsworth, let's go ahead and talk about the Bucs. Uh, for those of you guys who don't understand, like, we literally will do a whole podcast off the pod where we're not recording. So we were literally <laughs> just talking about the Bucks a few seconds ago. Now I've hit record, we'll actually talk about them, and it'll matter to everyone. Uh, the thesis statement, the first weekend of the NBA restart should tell NBA fans that the Bucks are the real favorite to win the title. You went A- minus after last week agreeing that the Lakers were probably the favorite to win the title. So... Talk to me a little bit about what's changed over the last three days or so since the NBA's restarted. So I think my deal has been more that like I understand it's not a crazy world and that either one. I think I was like a A minus B plus for the Lakers as well. You know, any of these favorites, they all seem fairly similar to me as far as what their odds are as winning it. So that's I think why I'm similar on the grading of it. The deal I look at is the Bucks came out and played. I don't want to say sloppy because that implies bad, but it was certainly not the best game that I've seen the Milwaukee Bucks play. And they beat the Boston Celtics in a game that Kimball Walker did play in. I guess he was in limited minutes, but like you yourself, I think, had the Celtics of Kimba plays as a favorite in the East, right? Yes, and so, like, I did. <laughs> that, like, like, that's a strong outing to me. Um, uh, I joked off pot a second ago. Giannis didn't have a hoop at his home reportedly, and you <laughs> you point out like, he could probably find a hoop, but and he got thirty six points and fifteen rebounds, and like again, it was a sloppy game. 
it's uh, crazy for them to do that to the Celtics as well. Like when we think about the best teams in the East, so you start thinking about teams that listen, Milwaukee, they've been the best. So it's not unusual that they would beat the Celtics. It kind of felt like if you were watching that game, Milwaukee felt like they had pretty solid control all throughout. It, it was scary to me because I'm looking at the Celtics as saying with their experience with Tatum, with Brown, when Kemba plays, they shouldn't look like that against Milwaukee, especially if Giannis really doesn't have a hoop. Like, this is crazy. What, now he's <laughs> shooting. Like, I mean, oh, my gosh. He's only going to get better, right? So, well, I also thought, too, in watching Milwaukee play, like, there were times in that game where it got – I was like, Milwaukee's killing them. And I looked down, and it was like – they were up, like, eight, and it felt like there should have been more, uh, more like 18. And I was like, oh, man, is Boston ever going to steal this? Like, they just got to turn it on, and they'll steal it. And Milwaukee doesn't let you just turn it on. The other part of this thesis, though, to me, Shaka, is not just about Milwaukee, right? We talk about Milwaukee as – the thesis says that they should be the favorite after the first weekend to win it all or, or whatever. I think it also implies that we have now seen, you know, holes in the armor of the other teams, right? We've seen You mean you're Clippers. not happy with J.R. Smith's performance as a Laker? <laughs> <laughs> We've seen the Clippers, you know, they struggled at times against the Lakers. They were up for a lot of the game and kind of didn't finish the game. We saw the can't Lakers... Can't box out. They can't box out. <laughs> we saw the Lakers fall apart against the Raptors. And I don't mean to sit here and poo-poo on the Raptors. They have the rings from last year, but the dude with the title, with the championship MVP trophy from last year is no longer there. Like, you know. And um, LeBron beat him two nights ago on a team that I think that most folks would say is objectively better. And Toronto still completely. came in and, oh my gosh. I mean, by the time that game was over, this is what Jay Johnson consistently talks about with the Raptors as well, is that people don't give them respect, but then you watch them and they're kind of like, a veteran prize fighter that you don't realize that the body blows that they're delivering the second and third and fourth round are really going to start to pay dividends in the ninth, 10th, 11th round. And now all of a sudden you're in the 12th round and you can't pick your arms up. Part of their body blows come from, they played eight guys, 10 or more or 12 or more minutes. Um, and in that eight guys, there's not, I mean like Kyle Lowry, I guess was the all-star and there's been years in the past where Marcus all is the all-star we could talk about Pascal Siakam some, I'm sure, in a second. But, like, the truth is of the first eight guys that got 12 or more minutes, none of them are bad. Like, I don't like, I, I wouldn't kick one of them off my team. Whereas everyone else in their eight- or nine-man rotation, there's got that guy that's kind of a weak defender. They got the guy that's, like, kind of a what Like, the or Rockets have will have... J.R. Smith. We could keep... Right. J.R. Smith is going to keep coming back because he was right. awful. I mean, his plus right. minus the Lakers, is nuts. The Lakers will have LeBron, they'll have Davis, but they'll have a J.R. Smith or a Deion Waiters who just can't really guard anybody, right? Um, the Raptors have Pascal Siakam and Kyle Lowry who might not be in the stratosphere as a LeBron or a Davis or a Kawhi or a Giannis, but they don't have the J.R. Smith or the Deion Waiters or the weak link either. Let me throw this at you real quick. The thing with Toronto, and we can wrap up the Raptors talk because this is not a We the North podcast. We save that We save that for our, our friend Jay Johnson. With Toronto, the thing that I see when they play, and I'm starting to get a, a greater appreciation and affinity for it now, they play the Lakers, right? The Lakers have the best player in LeBron. The Lakers have the second best player in Anthony Davis. Toronto, how far do you have to go before you start to name the third Laker? Like, how many players right. on their roster, right? Pascal Siakam is better. Kyle Lowry's better. Gasol, Van Vliet. 
you essentially will go through the eight-man rotation. OG Ananobi, you go through the eight-man rotation that they run out there before you get to the next Laker, which is crazy. And I think it's like that with a lot of teams. Now, the team that it's not like that with, and this is the where I want to circle back and maybe talk a little bit about, is the Clippers. You know, I come out of this weekend almost feeling like if you switch Bucks for Clippers, then I might make the thesis an A. And the Clippers lost the game, which is crazy. I look at the Clippers, and they have actually a very similar deal. If you look at them, without Trez or Lou Williams, they had, was it, 11 guys play 10 or more minutes, um, which is a, a deep rotation, right? But they have some of the guys in that rotation. Like, Joel Kim Noah's not really going to help you on offense anymore, right? He can pass a little bit, but even then, he can't. you're not guarding him the same way because he can't beat you off the dribble like he could have 10 years ago. You, you know, Lou Williams, as great as he is on offense, can be a turnstile on defense, right? Montrez Harrell is a great athlete, but he's a gambler, and that, that ends up coming at hurting him sometimes. Reggie Jackson played a lot of minutes on opening night that I guess typically would go to a Lou Williams. It was interesting to see him play. Well, he for also that, played Patrick Beverly's minutes, right? Because Beverly didn't start the Beverly's, game. He's coming back, yeah. And so they'll be a different team in two weeks than they are than they were opening night. But it's a similar deal to me in that when I look at one and two, right, Kawhi and Paul George, I have my thoughts on Paul George. I might put Pascal Siakam just about him. I don't know. That's maybe a different podcast. But I will say is that the Raptors, like you're saying, win that battle of number, you know, between the 24 players put together, they win number five through 15. And the truth is that that's why they won it all a year ago is because they had that and Kawhi Leonard, right? <laughs> so that they also <laughs> often had someone in the top four. I mean, so I don't big, know. That, I, that and is big, right? The and that Kawhi and is Leonard. Big. <laughs> I, will, I will say in the playoffs, when you have series and people are scouting and people are figuring out how to defend you night in, night out, because it's the same team, the same scheme, the same whatever for a few nights in a row, sometimes, and I wrote this in some of my previews, you just need a guy that can isolate and go get a bucket. Absolutely. You need, and I know you're going to poop on me for his lack of success nope, in there. But like, nope, nope, like, nope. I know exactly where you're going to go with this. And James I Harden, like if we isolate, James Harden is going to get points. If the Clippers isolate, Kawhi Leonard is going to get points. If the Lakers isolate, LeBron or Davis are going to get points. Um, if the if the Bucks isolate, Giannis is going to get the ball. And he might not score. It might be a kick out three. But someone's going to score um, the, these, uh, these other teams at Echelon. Even Jason Tatum has become that guy for Boston. Tatum is a superstar in this league in the making. He is young. He is a stud. And in three or four years, we're going to be talking about big-time things with Jason Tatum. I'm sure of it. it. Is Pascal Siakam that guy? He might be. And if he is, they're really good. You know, like, like if he is, they're really good. But he might not be. I don't know. Um, a couple of other teams that I want to talk about. We can, we'll end with the Rockets, I promise you. So we'll talk about them. But a couple of other teams I want to talk about. Oklahoma City. I don't know what it is. I watch them. And I said this to you off pod. They are greater than the sum of their parts. I don't – Danilo Gallinari played for the Knicks. Like, I know what that is. Okay? <laughs> and it's not that he was bad with the Knicks. He I was love fine. that that's the indictment. That's but the I indictment. Mean, he played I, for I, the Knicks. I guess when I say that, I'm not saying it that everyone who plays for the Knicks sucks. What I'm saying is, is that I got to see him night in and night out. And so I feel like I know what that animal is. And then I watch him yesterday – and he's a better version of that animal, which is crazy to me because he's been in the league for a while, right? And then you look at Steven Adams. Eventually, he's a very limited player, 
But the things that he does, he does really well. So you're thinking eventually yeah, that's going to fall off. And they, they still look good. And then they got SGA. So you want to talk about a UK guy who I love, Shea Gilgis-Alexander. Love that dude. And, of course, what ties it all together, one of the greatest point guards of all time and Chris Paul. And they look like if they're going to play at the level that they played at yesterday when I was watching them, they're going to be a very difficult out in the Western Conference regardless of who gets to see them. But it feels like they're winning the first-round series. And – one of the LA teams is going to have to see them in the second round, which will be quite interesting. The Thunder is another one of these teams that they had six guys score 10 or more points. I worry that looking at that single result, right, as we come back against the Jazz, um, I got to write about the Jazz for Belly Up on their preview, and I'm worried about the Jazz if I'm a Utah fan because no bogey means where do more points come from. Um, bogey was the second highest score on that team. So Donovan Mitchell, is he really going to be able to shoulder more of a load? Or where are you going to find the points? And they're clearly showing that they struggle with New Orleans and then they lost, you know, as bad as a game has been in the bubble, they lost the Thunder. I I, wor- I wonder or that says more about the Jazz. The interesting thing to me about the Thunder is, is that they truly, like, don't seem to care who scores. And I know that seems really, like, childish and mundane and middle school basketball coach or whatever. But the truth is, is that, like, they just run a set and they run it to find out this where the best shot comes from. And Chris Paul is a brilliant point guard, like you said, and he can find that guy. And Shea, if it's him, can score. Danilo, if it's him, can score. Steven Adams, if it's him and it's inside of five feet, can also score. You know? <laughs> Schroeder leads a great second unit for them. He does a very similar job in the second unit. They bring anyway, a couple just, UK guys off in that second unit too because Hamadou Diallo, uh, Nervous Noel. Right? Noel. They're, they're talented. And I it's again, it's a team where kind of like – they're nowhere near as good as the Raptors, but it's like the Raptors in the sense that they're not going to have one of the two best players in the playoff series, probably, but they're going to have a lot of guys between like 3, 4, 5, and like 12, 13, 14. Well, let um, me say this about Oklahoma City. When you make that assertion that they won't have one of the two best guys, I guess if they're playing the L.A. teams, but in a lot of other series, they are going to have one of the two best guys because Chris Paul is still playing at that level. If you would say to me at the end of the game, who do you want the ball in their hands, Kyle Lowry or Chris Paul? At this point in their careers, I'm still taking Chris Paul, and the margin is pretty wide. Yeah, the other team that I wanted to bring up before we spend a little time on the Rockets is just Denver because I'm just so disappointed in the way that they're playing. And I just want Mike Malone, again, to take advantage of the fact that he has a team that's physically bigger than every other team in the league. Like, they're the biggest team in this bubble, and they try to run up and down with folks. And I get that. To a certain extent, you can do that, and the analytics tell you to do that. I don't know. It, it doesn't seem to work. I don't want to spend a ton of time on Denver because I actually want to talk Rockets a little bit, um, and we've been talking for quite a bit, but you had any quick thoughts on the Nuggets? I think that was a bad – you know, if we're going to look directly at the Heat game, I think that's a bad matchup for them, right? Uh, I talked about how much I think Bam can help Miami against uh, Giannis in an earlier pod. Uh, I think he can only do more things against a Jokic if needed. Uh, I don't know that they needed him to as much uh, yesterday. It was like yesterday the day before. Um, but I, I do think that Bam presents problems for them because he's big and mobile, and they're just kind of big. So now the real question I want to throw at you, Parker, is the Mavericks-Rockets game. How do you come out of that game, knowing that you're a Rockets fan, how do you come out of that game feeling about your team going through the rest of the seeding games and going into this postseason? Well, I want to start off with, so I was born in in Houston, in the Houston area. 
I moved to Austin when I was in elementary school, and Austin is mostly Spurs fans. I then went to college in California with a lot of Lakers fans and Warriors fans, and I currently live in Dallas with with a lot of Mavericks fans. Generally speaking, the day after the Rockets play, I wake up to a lot of text messages. Regardless of <laughs> win, lose, or draw, and regardless of who they played, I wake up to a lot of text messages, right? Um, and so I've been basically talking about this since it happened, and I'm sure they play the Bucks tonight, and I'll talk about it for the next 24 hours. But the Rockets game was interesting to me because if you had told me with your magic ball, like crystal ball going into it, hey, Porzingis is getting 39, some dude named Trey Burke is getting 31, and Eric Gordon's not playing, I might have turned it off at the end of the first quarter. Like, I, like <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think that would have ever shaken out for the Rockets. And it, it did in large part because James Harden scored 49. Um, the thing that people need to remember of James Harden is the knock on him in the playoffs is typically he runs out of steam and they just had four months off. Like, is he going to run out of steam if they just had four months off? Who knows? We did a whole pod when they went small and when they made the trades to go to small ball. The truth is, is that before the small ball trades, the Western Conference or a finals appearance were like, kind of things are really going to be reaches. They weren't a favorite. And so the small ball trades to me make them like just different. And if they can get you by being different and get just as far then they're fine. I think that, obviously, you don't want to have to rely on a guy to get 50, but the truth is is that that was a crazy high-scoring game. The other team had guys scoring 30 and 40, and, I mean, so the truth is that that just kind of seemed to be the nature of it. The thing that I kept coming back to, well, I guess there's two things I kept coming back to after watching the Houston game. Uh, One is that it's cemented for me that if you've got an athletic big, I mean, they can't do anything with them because Kristaps Porzingis essentially had free reign. Kristaps Porzingis looked like a third grader playing against kindergartners at certain points because he was just so much physically taller than the other guys on the court. So he turns and he could see everything. And so everything's in front of him in terms of what he wants to do. Now, what the Mavs don't have on a night-in-night-out basis is enough pieces because it's really Kristaps and Luka, and then Trey Burke went nuts. I think he hit his first six threes or something like that. You can't rely on that. That's not who Trey Burke has been consistently in the NBA. So anyway, that that athletic big. And then the other piece is they scored 153. That's awesome. They gave up 149. That's less than awesome. And for me, in order for Mike D'Antoni, like this is what I firmly believe, in order for Mike D'Antoni to keep his job, he has to at least get to the Western Conference Finals. And I can't see them, if they play at that level, beating one of the L.A. teams in the second round because those L.A. teams are going to be better defensively. I don't see how you get 153. So then the question becomes, can you not give up 149? And that's what scares me. That game was always going to be high scoring. It's two of the top three teams in pace. The Mavs lead the league in points per game. I mean, that is always that was always going to be a At certain points of the game, though, it looked like an all-star game. Like, it looked like no one was willing to play defense. Like, that's the thing that's concerning. 85-75 at halftime, that's a woo. You also had both teams shot 38 and 39 free throws. And before I get a bunch of people saying, what are Rockets fans coming out free throws? The Rockets only shot one more free throw, and the Mavs intentionally fouled one time at the end of regulation and, like, two or three times at the end of overtime to try and get the ball back and whatever. So that's, you know, four, five, six free throws right there just from the Mavs trying to do strategic things, not foul things. So regardless, both teams shot almost 40 free throws. And in this league, that's almost – that's going to be about 30 free points, you know. So it's it's an interesting game. 
But the high scoring didn't throw me off because, again, a month ago, if you look at the way those two teams play, you could have told us it would be a high scoring game. Okay, Parker, so the thesis statement for this commercial is James Harden has the best beard in sports. What do you think about that thesis statement? Oh, I give it an A. You know, as a Houston guy, we, we seem to have an affinity for our beards between guys like him, Dallas Keiko, lots of big beards in the Houston area. What do you think about the thesis? So I'm a Jets fan, and I absolutely love the beard that Ryan Fitzpatrick has. So maybe I would give Ryan Fitzpatrick the nod over James Harden. But you're talking to a couple of bearded teachers, and we know a thing or two about making sure that you maintain that mane. So check out the beard struggle. The beard struggle, they make oils, they make balms, they even have have this heated comb thing to make sure that you get your beard straight so that you're looking fresh. I know I've really enjoyed using the oil they make for my quarantine beard of sorts. It's nice and long these days, but it'll <laughs> keep it nice and healthy and hydrated. And if you're listening to our show, you can use FN Sports 15 and get 15% off your oils, your balms, your uh, shampoos, conditioners, whatever you need to use to keep your beard looking healthy. Absolutely. Check out The Beard Struggle at thebeardstruggle.com. Whether you're just starting to grow or you have a luscious mane already, The Beard Struggle's got all the products that you need. The Beard Struggle. Feast your face. Okay, Mr. Cummings, our second thesis this week. Uh, we get back into baseball. Baseball's been back for about a week. Or has it? Uh, the, the thesis this week is that the Miami Marlins are the reason baseball should shut down for the rest of the season. You hear that, especially as a Yankees fan. And how do you grade it, Mr. Cummings? It's funny because you were like, baseball's been back for a week or has it? No, it's definitely been back for a week. The real question is, is it going to be back for two? <laughs> right? That's the question. Um, no, I this thesis, uh, like, okay, so my head is like A+. And my heart. Is like you can't you can't but I don't this isn't a C this is higher than a C I'm gonna go B plus I I feel very similarly um, except and maybe it's because I'm not outside of being a regional Astros fan just because it's Houston and whatnot like I'm not this person that was like looking forward to baseball every day of the summer already anyway it's fun it's especially fun when it's like the only sport on and other like, the other sports on I, if they can't do it they can't do it I I think it's a very high grading and give it a B plus. All right, Mr. Cummings, you said that this thesis really tore you. You mentioned even like your head wanted one thing, your heart wanted another, um, but didn't settle in the C range like you so often do when that happens. So walk us through your thought process. So with the Miami Marlins, I mean, I'm I'm getting multiple articles that have different numbers in terms of their coronavirus cases. For those who are unaware, last week we get our first full week of baseball being back. And all of a sudden, it comes out on Tuesday that there are multiple Miami Marlins players and coaches who have tested positive for COVID. And with those positive tests, they're postponing and canceling games. And the impact is that the Marlins had just come off of a series with the Philadelphia Phillies. So the Phillies games need to be canceled because... They have to test those Philadelphia Phillies players who have come in contact with the Miami Marlins. And, I mean, I've got numbers ranging from 18 to 22, which sounds like an age demographic for ESPN. But those <laughs> are the numbers of Marlins players and coaches who had positive COVID tests over this past week. And, you know, the thesis 
there are some pieces of it that really tug. So for instance, I don't know that I want to just wholesale poop on the Miami Marlins and be like, oh, it's their fault. Because when I was watching baseball games this last week, Parker, I saw guys spitting. I saw guys sitting too close to each other in the dugout. I saw guys high-fiving. I saw coaches without masks. There were the things that MLB outlines a protocol and says, these are the things we need you to do. And I saw a lot of people not doing it. Right. And so we can look at the Marlins and look at those positive tests and say, hey, listen, the Marlins are the Rudy Gobert of baseball, right? <laughs> like we can look at them and say that. We can, yeah. And the yeah, reality yeah. is, is that it wasn't just them. They just happened to be the team that now we're seeing positive test results. And of course, they're playing games in Florida, which we can go look at Florida in terms of COVID numbers and say, man, unless you're in a bubble situation, you probably shouldn't be playing, which then gets you down this whole path of why isn't baseball in a bubble in the first place, which then gets you to Rob Manfred. And let me just tell you this, Parker. Like, I think I'm going to be the engineer. I'm going to be the conductor of the train for firing Rob Manfred because I don't feel like he's done enough to really hold these guys accountable to the protocols that were set out. He didn't do enough in my mind to get a bubble going. Like I got a lot of problems with him as much as I have with the Miami Marlins. Completely. I also think it's funny. We're sitting here talking about this. The Marlins have still only played three games and where'd it go just now? And they're sitting in second in the NL East. Like if we did the playoffs, well, <laughs> I, think, I think they're still in because it's all done on, on playing on a win percentage. Cause they're kind yeah. of assuming that I was going to see them on a games. Right. Um, which is just funny. The the truth is, as I look at it in like, yes, we can't like call them Agent Zero the same way we call Gobert Agent Zero because you don't really know how Gobert got it. You don't really know how the Marlins got it. But unlike, like we point the finger at Gobert because he was so brazen. Unlike Gobert, baseball has been very brazen. Like you said, they laid out a bunch of things that the baseball team needed to do and they haven't held them to it. Like... I don't care if it's $250, which is not much to a baseball player, right? If you're going to say don't spit, I want to see a $250 fine every time someone spits. Like, I, I, if, you're, if that's really what it's going to take based on your interaction with doctors and scientists to keep this thing moving and to keep this thing safe, then really do it. Don't just write it down and then not do it, right? If it's really going to take being spaced out in the dugout and in the bench or whatever, then really space out in the dugout and on the bench. Don't just say we ought to do this and not do it. And so while I can't, that's not necessarily the Marlins' fault. They're not the only team, like you're saying. Um, that is something that baseball needs to look at. But we're talking about the Marlins because they're the first team that had all of this happen. They're not the only team. In the first seven days of baseball, you had six teams postpone, and postpone is optimistic, games because they couldn't play with COVID. Like, that, that's a lot. That's, that's a lot of teams already, Chuck. Opening day. The Washington Nationals couldn't play Juan Soto opening day because he tested positive. The Atlanta Braves in their opening series. So I'm a New York sports fan. So obviously these are the teams that play the Yankees and the Mets to start the season. The Braves couldn't, they had to use a minor league catcher because their right. top two catchers both had COVID or at least they had symptoms. symptoms. So they didn't want to bring them to New York to play against the Mets and infect the rest of the team. And, this is where I get back to Rob Manfred because the verbiage that's come from him in the last year of him being commissioner only makes me question everything that he's doing in terms of leadership. 
he doesn't get the benefit of the doubt based on the way that he handled the whole Houston Astros scandal. And I'm not going to dig too much into it, Parker, because I know it's still a scab for you. <laughs> um, but based on his handling of that situation, he called the trophy a hunk of metal, etc. Then I gave him a detention a few weeks ago because he allowed baseball to get their name dragged through the mud. When he said, he came out and said, we were never going to do more than 60 games if we were going to prorate salary. So if you knew that, then just be upfront with that from the beginning so that the players don't have to try to negotiate from this false sense of we're in this together. Then eventually the players are just like, you know what, forget it. Tell us when and where to play because you're supposed to be able to do that. So then that's where it comes to. So now you, I mean, listen, baseball has labor tension anyway. You're only... You're only making that labor tension worse with this situation. And now we have Manfred, who at least from that commissioner's seat, I haven't heard of fines that are going on in terms of these guys not following through on protocols. As a matter of fact, what I've heard are quotes from Manfred basically begging Tony Clark, who's the head of the Players Association, to talk to the players and say, hey, listen, if you guys aren't better, then we're going to have to cancel the season. And it's like, you're the commissioner. What are you begging the Players Association leader to do something about it? You're the commissioner. You do something about it. You're the well, toothless tiger. Like, I don't even understand him, man. What you know is coming because major news outlets, not like sporting outlets, like CNN, NPR, etc., pushed out of the report at the start of the weekend about how they're hearing wind that the commissioner is and the MLBPA is and different groups are telling, you know, these TV rights people like, hey – get some alternate programming ready, there may be a pause for a minute. Like, they aren't, no one is confirming it. We don't have a quote from Manfred or anyone in charge, but the TV outlets are leaking. That's people are telling them, hey, get other things ready in case we can't put baseball games on. That may mean literally just in case we can't put a baseball game on, put this other thing on, right? Not like weeks at a time. But with that being leaked, what you know the next thing that's going to happen is if a statement comes out and they do have to put a pause in this thing, what you know Manfred's going to do is point the finger at the players and be like, look, we wanted to do da-da-da-da-da-da-da, but they said no. Like, you know he's not going to take any ownership for the, the failures of this thing. Which only shows your lack of leadership because Adam Silver was able to come out right away and say, we can't do it unless we're in a bubble. So that's where we're starting from. Again, if Manfred just comes out and says, hey, we're not doing more than 60 games. Okay, at least we know that's where we're starting from. Hey, we have to bubble. We're going to do this at our spring training facilities in Arizona. I'm not saying that Arizona is the best place to do it. I just know there's spring training there. So if you say that's where we're going to bubble, okay, that's where we're bubbling. Okay, now we can start negotiations about the rest of the stuff. But those two things are non-negotiables. You just have to understand that's what we have to do. Like that's what a leader would do. A leader would exhibit that level of just straightforwardness with the players. And now you can put together a real plan. But the lack of leadership, I, I'm not saying – that the grown men who play for the Miami Marlins have done everything right? Because I don't know. And maybe there's plenty of things that they've done wrong. Maybe there's plenty of things that the Philadelphia Phillies done wrong, although it only seems like the only thing the Phillies did wrong was play the Marlins. Maybe there are things that right. the St. Louis Cardinals did wrong. Maybe there are things that lots of players have done wrong that are leading to outbreaks of COVID within Major League Baseball. And I think that some of these things could have been mitigated if you bubbled. The NBA is showing you that... If you control the environment, there's a way to get this done, at least in the first weekend. So now we could come back in three weeks and be cursing Adam Silver, I suppose. That being said, it looks solid. So if you looks, see that that model is there, I don't know why that wouldn't be what mob, 
what Rob Manfred works off of. It looks solid, and it also, we don't know what happens when COVID gets into the bubble at this point. Like, if somehow, some it's unfortunate, but some, like, food or sanitation worker brings it in and gets it to a player because they're not being treated the same outside of the bubble as they are inside, it could very, we don't know, because they're all stacked on top of each other, like sardines almost in this bubble, we don't know how it works out. So I, I don't want to actually say the bubble's worked after a weekend, but it certainly is working much better i also I, they, they had a at, better opening weekend than baseball did that's oh, for sure by by leaps and bounds uh the thing i will say about baseball too is that the nba is doing all of this work to make sure that their guys aren't hurt when they're like important games start how many baseball players and pitchers especially you're seeing with injuries just because it feels like they're being rushed back um it's it's crazy like your boy verlander Right? I mean, and right. he's saying he's not going to be out for the season, which, again, the season's only two months. But he's got arm soreness, and it looks like he's going to be out for at least a month. If Houston's out of it, why would you even bother bringing him back? Of course he's going to be out for the season then. What are you going to bring him back? This In this short and condensed kind of crazy scenario, you're not going to bring him back for this, especially well, for him to maybe get COVID. Like, forget it. You know what I mean? But Texas has pitchers out, and L.A. has – I mean, L.A. just has an arsenal, so it's not as big a deal for them. But, like – Everyone, it seems like lots of teams are missing pitching arms. Um, you know I'm what sure team you're... is not? The New York Yankees, six and one. And let me tell you, if this friggin' season gets shortened <laughs> with Judge hitting four home runs already in seven games, I'm gonna be so angry. Incidentally, the Yankees were supposed to play a couple of games against the Phillies. Both those games got canceled because the Phillies had played the Marlins the series before. So uh, right now, like the Yankees are like, hey, this season, this thing's starting well for us. Um, you got you, the, the teams in the uh, NL West, the Dodgers look good. The Padres look good. Like, there's just a lot of teams that have kind of gotten off to a decent start, and I don't think that the Chicago Cubs, who are 6-2, and two, with a new manager, like, oh, man. Listen, baseball actually looks good when you watch it, guys. Like, I would love for people to check out a San Francisco Giants game because this dude, uh, Donovan Solano, like, he's hitting the cover off the ball, guys. And you know, maybe he doesn't get to have this season where he breaks out a little bit. He's leading the league in RBIs, by the way, right now. Um, I have a friend of mine who's actually related to Dansby Swanson, who plays for the Braves. And he's, I mean, he's just a young guy who obviously can play this game so incredibly well. And you're starting to see some of these guys come out. They're playing well. And it would suck for the season to wrap up and for them to not get any sort of fulfillment out of this season because of lack of leadership at the top, which is what I'm feeling like really happened here. I'm feeling like Rob Manfred could have prevented what almost feels inevitable, which is some sort of a shutdown of this shortened season and really didn't do anything within his power to prevent that from happening. Okay, Mr. Ainsworth, the Catholic boy from New York City loves our final thesis, which references <laughs> Notre Dame. So, of course, we have to talk fighting Irish football. Specifically, our thesis states Notre Dame should take advantage of this COVID-shortened season to permanently join the ACC. So now I throw that at you, Mr. Ainsworth. What do you say about that thesis statement? How are you going to grade it? I think this will be my third consecutive A-range grade. I'm going to give it an A-, minus. I think. Okay, so I'm going to go C on this one, and I'm pretty sure that the areas where we're going to agree, we're going to agree pretty strongly. And the areas where we disagree, we're going to be yelling at each other. 
Okay, Mr. Ainsworth. So now you're going to have to explain why you hate tradition. Why do you hate Notre Dame being an independent? You need them to permanently join the ACC. You gave it an A, which that's – I'm surprised that you would give it an A considering some of the cons. But talk to me about why you believe so strongly that Notre Dame should take advantage of the COVID realignment to permanently join the ACC in football. Well, I think a couple things. I think one thing is this, like – idea that since they make their own schedule it's like therefore somehow more difficult it has been garbage for more years than it's not been garbage i also think that um it will alleviate this idea of we keep giving more and more power to the power five conferences in general and then there's always this like and notre dame or yeah but we have to include notre dame or yeah yeah, yeah and 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 notre dame right and it's like or Notre Dame could just put their big boy pants on and join a conference like the rest of us like like they could stop functioning as this like outlier of sorts or they could get left behind, right? I think that there's several, that's not just a football thing, but the football is the one thing they're not in the ACC on, right? Can I just um, jump in and interrupt you before you go too much further? Because I just so fervently disagree with what you said about their schedule. Because I don't think that Notre Dame most years has a very easy schedule at all. And I understand that there are some years where some of those Big Ten teams maybe don't look as good. But then it turns out that those teams are pretty good. Like, they play... Stanford and USC, maybe, listen, if you want to argue that Navy isn't in Notre Dame's caliber, I guess you can, but Navy is a team that will win 9, 10 games as quick as anybody else. They they normally will get Michigan pretty regularly. So I don't know that their schedule was ever really bad. I felt like that was a dig that people used to give to Notre Dame that was undeserved, frankly. But because it's not a conference schedule, they're setting it relatively far in advance. And with the exception of like scheduling a blue blood, like a Georgia, like they did for last year. And, and they lost to Georgia last year. Um, with the exception of scheduling the blue bloods or the traditional rivalries, you, you don't really have any guess. Like who is like when they added these Duke games, like they played Duke last year, not that long ago, Duke was a good team and like it's gone away. And so that ended up being an easy game. Right. So since there's no conference there, the scheduling of these games is just kind of a, a crapshoot. Not that obviously there there are easy teams within each conference as well. Yeah, but because just I mean some, that's going to be the would, deal, right? Is that each conference is going to have a few of those. So even if they join the ACC, I mean, you specifically mentioned Duke. They would play Duke anyway if they were in the ACC, right? Well, what I'm getting at those would add more regularity to it. I, I think the real point I was trying to make was my latter point. And while I enjoy pooping on their schedule for 2019 <laughs> not being the most fun year, but there have been years to do it. The the bigger picture I see here is that whether it's because the pandemic is forcing it to be very obvious or whether it's because we're nearing a day where we maybe someday finally pay college athletes, or maybe it's just because the playoff needs to be expanded in college football to include all power five conferences or, or something. We're nearing a point where the power five is going to be separate from the rest of college football. It's only gone exponentially more so in the last 30 years and it seems to continue to climb at a steeper and steeper rate the gap is is just widening notre dame continues to be this like outside group that is not within the power five in football which is the money-making sport for all these conferences right and so i guess i gave it an a minus as opposed to an a plus because my thought is more like I guess it doesn't have to be the ACC, although that's where the rest of their sports are. Maybe geographically they should do something more like the Big Ten, which has more than 10 teams. Don't get me started there. <laughs> but the truth is is that like they do need to kind of jump in with the rest of us because it is no longer 1928. Like, guess what? We're in conferences now. 
And, and I, I just see that being where college sports are headed, football in particular. If financially it's to your benefit to not be in a conference, why would you ever join one? So for Notre Dame, financially, they are the seventh highest revenue generating team, according to Forbes magazine. And they're kicking butt in terms of the revenue generation. Oh, by the way, the ACC only had one team in the top 25, and it's not the one you're thinking because <laughs> it's not Clemson. It's Florida State. So Notre Dame joins the ACC. Financially, it's actually not a benefit to them. Financially, it's a bigger benefit to the ACC because now Notre Dame's revenue gets split. So what's the incentive for them to join, especially when what you're saying, Parker, is true, which is everyone makes exceptions for them. So if the playoff is going to make an exception for Notre Dame, if the rest of college football is willing to make these exceptions and allow for these contingencies so that Notre Dame can remain independent, there really is no incentive for them to say, okay, we have to jump and join a conference. Like, I understand the reference of putting on your big boy pants, but they, they, Notre Dame's afraid to play anybody. Notre Dame will play you. They'll play anybody. Like you said, they, they wouldn't schedule Georgia. They didn't say, oh, we got to wait until the playoffs. No, they schedule Georgia. They'll schedule anybody. So Notre Dame's not afraid to play, folks. Notre Dame will play you. So they put the big boy pants on every Saturday. And then many years, they kick your butt. And for them to continue to benefit in terms of the revenue that they bring in that they don't have to split, I don't know why you would join a conference, especially if the conference is the ACC, where they are the big boy who would be benefiting everyone else. It's one thing to say, hey, join the Big Ten, where you have lots of high revenue generating teams. Or even if you said join the SEC, which I know intuitively might not feel like, oh, that should happen. I mean, listen, South Bend, Indiana is not that far away from Lexington, Kentucky, guys. So if they wanted to do that, there's a lot of high revenue generating teams there. There's a lot of high revenue generating teams in the Big 12. The one conference that we picked <laughs> is the one conference that only has one team in the top 25 in terms of revenue generation. Even the Pac-12 has three. So why jump into the ACC in particular? It almost feels like because the ACC is in it, that's enough of a reason to say, no, we make our own money. We're good. What's interesting, I think we're looking at two different Forbes. I'm looking at a football-specific Forbes list, and so I actually had similar data, and I guess the football specificity actually put some more ACC teams in the top 25. Only two more, but that's neither here nor there. That seems like an outlier or like not necessarily specific to the argument. I do think it's interesting, like, what is Notre Dame – since they're not in a conference, play for They play for national titles. The last title was before I was born, Shaka. It was 1988. Like that, <laughs> the, the truth is, is like it also adds something to them and I think would benefit them as well. You're talking about like the cost benefit not being in their favor, but winning a conference would help get them into these playoff games that they're trying to get into, right? It wouldn't be dependent on well, what do we think about them and this outlier conference when so-and-so won the SEC and such-and-such such won the Big 12 and so-and-so won the ACC? Like, oh, no, they could just win the ACC, and then, then it's really obvious because if we're going to be frank, like, Clemson has been very good for the last decade. I don't mean to, like, diminish what they've done, but a lot of that started just by winning that conference pretty regularly. They haven't been in that national picture. They had, what was it, Brady Quinn had, a, you know, his, like, flash in the pan moment for they were like there for like a split second but the truth is they haven't been the nationally relevant like are we competing for a championship team 
in a long time. And I think joining a conference also helps them out in that regard. So I agree with you, but I, your reasoning is flawed in that Notre Dame played in a national title game. They played in one pre-playoff, right? They lost to Alabama. I mean, Alabama beat them like a drum, but they were in the beat game. Beat them like a drum. Yeah, the beat them like the, them being in the ACC didn't mean Alabama was going to beat them like a drum. Didn't make a difference. The other thing is that they've made the playoff, like the adjusted playoff they've made. Now, once again, they lost their first game, but in that particular year, had they been in the ACC, they very likely would not have been in the playoffs because Clemson was also in the playoffs. So only one team was going to come out of the ACC that year, and I, I believe Clemson beat Notre Dame in that game. Conference championships make it easier for you to get into those high-profile games like the playoff, and I agree with you there. And the fact that they haven't won a national title since 88 tells us that Maybe if you had some more opportunities, then potentially you could have more. Uh, and they've still gotten opportunities. I would also argue that because gauging them in a vote-in poll, like the even creating the playoff, there's you know a, a committee of people picking teams. I would argue that when they get blown out like they did with Manti Teo in the championship game in was that 2012, 2013, that season, right? The spring of 13, fall of 12. When they do that, because it does come down to a committee, that generally, it lingers in people's minds and is a bad a bad look versus, yeah, if you win your conference, it doesn't matter if you got blown out two years ago because you won your conference this year. I think Yeah, it but they could also lose the Florida State and lose the Miami in those subsequent years too and then not win the ACC, right? I mean, so... The same benefit that I agree is there. I agree winning your conference and having conference championships. It's, there's also risk in that. There's risk in joining the ACC and not ever being able to beat Clemson. There's risk in joining the ACC and not having been able to beat Jimbo's Florida State teams. There's risk in joining the ACC and being better than a lot of teams, but just getting beat by Paul Johnson and that Georgia Tech option in those years, right? So there's risk-reward. The reason why this thing isn't an F in my mind is because of the conference championship piece, and I know that that's such a valuable piece in terms of getting into the postseason. The other piece in my mind, and this is something that maybe you're going to get to, Parker, is that if you're going to join a conference, like from a monetary standpoint, the ACC doesn't make a lot of sense. But from a, hey, we got a chance to win this conference standpoint, the ACC makes the most sense. <laughs> because for Notre so, Dame, they would just have to beat Clemson, right? And if you I beat Clemson, you feel like you're going to win that conference most years. At least right now it is. I, I came in at A- minus because I was like trying to balance geographically the one that I think makes more sense as the Big Ten. Like you're saying, with the reality of a shot at winning it, the better chance would be the ACC, and they have the rest of their sports in the ACC. You point out how South Bend is not far from Lexington. If I'm joining a conference and want to start winning conference championships, I probably don't join the SEC. <laughs> right? well, like, like, the <laughs> reason to join the SEC is the money. So if Notre right. Dame joins the SEC – their money isn't going to be, believe it or not, their money isn't going to be crazy messed with. They're actually going to probably make pretty similar dollars. Their TV deal would be better by joining a conference than it is by not being in one. Most folks talk about the television deal that they have with NBC. The deal with that is that they get all the money, but the actual numbers of that deal, it doesn't, Kentucky gets the same kind of money by playing on the SEC network. So it's like, uh, yeah. the, the actual money, the dollars and cents, that's negligible. The, but if you join the SEC, because the SEC television deal is a big one and their teams tend to make the playoff, so there's and money the, that comes with that. 
the poster boy, I would say, as someone who lives in Texas for that, is A&M leaving the Big 12 to join the SEC has only catapulted their revenue, right? Absolutely. Um, regardless of the fact that they will probably never win the SEC, and every Aggie can come at me and say it, they'll never win the SEC. They made a very calculated statement by looking at, we might not ever win the Big 12 either, but we can go make more money over there. And they did, right? Um, so I think that that's a poster job for joining for money. But I guess I look at Notre Dame's dollars and say they're going to help the dollar side of most places they go. And then I was thinking things like winning ACC championships or getting to ACC championship games would then kind of have this cyclical nature in their money revenue, right? That now we're playing conference championship games, which helps us make more money, which makes the conference more money. It's like it's going back and forth there. I thought so as much. Yeah, but it hurts their overall revenue because the teams that they're playing in the ACC don't generate the revenue that they do. But I again, then I go back to my earliest argument my second earliest argument because you didn't like my schedule argument uh, (laughs) my second earliest argument though is that it looks like we're getting closer and closer to a world where the power five is separate anyway and they're going to need to do this to stay around with these big programs anyway i think obviously the pandemic is a once in a lifetime type of thing but it is only shedding more light on that it's only making it more clear that some programs need their school the schools need the money for this to happen because there are such such big money programs uh i think that you're really looking at a a world where the power five breaks off from the ncaa maybe not in the immediate future and maybe not even in the next five or ten years but it's getting closer and closer and getting into a conference i think is a way to get yourself ready for that yeah but if you have consistently had exceptions made for you why wouldn't you just wait to see how that deal plays out? Like, why wouldn't Notre Dame just say, okay, I get it. Power Five is going to break away. They're not going to leave us out because we generate revenue as well as any team in the country. So, of course, they're going to bring us in and then see what those parameters are, right? Like, I can wait for that scenario, and maybe the Power Five will still make the exception and let me be independent. Or maybe they'll force me to join a conference then. But if they force me to join a conference then, the entire college football landscape has shifted and – then we have to join a conference. Keep in mind that Notre Dame has survived every other college football landscape shift, right? When Penn State joined the conference, Notre Dame stayed independent. Army joined the conference, Notre Dame stayed independent. And now you got a team like BYU saying, why did we join a conference? And then they break away to be independent because they look at the Notre Dame model and they're like, yeah, we should do that. The wins and losses piece in terms of getting a conference championship, which helps to position yourself in terms of the postseason, that's valid. All the other arguments, okay, those are dollars and cents arguments, and they don't make dollars. So, as you said so eloquently a few weeks ago, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Friends, that is another edition of FN Sports. Thank goodness the sports are back. Thank goodness we're getting to watch them. Unfortunately, Sabrina Inescu is injured, and my whole WNBA season is down the tubes. So, Parker, I, hopefully none of your players get injured for the teams that you root for. Why don't you tell folks where they can talk to you on socials, just in case someone does get injured so they can make fun of you. <laughs> <laughs> if you would like to make fun of me about how much James Harden needs to score 50 points for us to win a basketball game, you can find me on Twitter at... P Ainsworth 512. That's at P A I N S W O R T H 512. All one word on Twitter and Instagram. You can uh, also find me and Shaka on our FN Sports Twitter page. Uh, that's at FN Sports 2, like the number 2, F I N S P O R T S 2. All one word. Uh, I'll dash with P A and Shaka will dash with CC. Shaka, we have an Instagram too. 
Absolutely. You can find us on Instagram at F underscore N underscore sports. You can find me on social media, Twitter and Instagram at Shaka Cummings at C-H-A-K-A-C-U-M-M-I-N-G-S. Friends, thank you for another wonderful episode. Please remember to like, subscribe, share, do all those wonderful things to help out the podcast. And please remember, when it comes to sports, don't flunk with us. Later, guys. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Maryland sports fans, there's only one sports book in the great state of Maryland with over 50 years experience booking bets and supporting customers. Betfred Sportsbook at Long Shots is now open and is the only sports book in Frederick offering cash betting on football, basketball, world soccer, and more. Visit the Betfred Sportsbook at I-270 and MD-85 in Frederick, right next to Long Shots Off-Track Betting. Go to BetfredSports.com for more information and your chance to win exclusive merchandise. Must be 21 or older. Play responsibly. For help, call 1-800-GAMBLER.